DHP Tech. It's episode number 62 of the Development Help Podcast. Make some noise. So this is the third time that we've done a live recording of uh, Dev Hell. This time looks like attendance was better than last time. So I think we've done more than that. What three? The third time at Tech. Third time at Tech. Yeah. Because we did we did one at True North last year. That is correct. Where we talked to Ben Ramsey, who's in the front row. Um, but uh, but yes. So it's uh, I guess the first full day of sessions for PHP Tech. So it's, yep. It's uh, Wednesday, May. It is Wednesday. Cut that out with your hands. Sorry. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I usually mute the mic when I start doing stuff like that. Yeah, uh, May 20th, 2015, Common Era. And we have, uh, we have a super secret guest. But before we do that, let's get into our sponsors. We have like an all-time high yes. number of sponsors. We have not one, not two, not five, but four. Four sponsors this week. I one of whom hasn't paid, but we won't say which one. Yeah. Um, I haven't gotten paid either by him. Bigger so. crowd. More sponsors, super secret guests. Yes, yeah, see? <laughs> That's in the correlation here. They heard about the secret sponsor. All right. So we got four. The first one that we got is um, the one I'm going to be nice to because I don't know them as well, uh, which is uh, Pulse Storm, which is a, a company that's run by a guy, Alan Storm. I, which he sounds like like that's a superhero name. It's a Marvel superhero. Yeah, sure. right. It sounds like like, or like Pulse a secret Storm. agent. I'm Storm. Yeah, Storm. Oh, Alan Storm. Well, maybe he's the, the husband Storm. of Storm. Oh yeah, that could be. He's you not take... so super. When you marry a um, a superhero, do you take their ju- their just single name as your surname? Well, if you're looking for branding opportunities, I would think that you would. Yeah, so it's a good thing. Well, anyway, so I guess he married a mutant, and <laughs> that uh, what's that? What's the country that the Black Panther's from? Wakanda? Wakanda. Wakanda. Yeah. And which is where they have vibranium that they made out of... Vibrators out of. No. <laughs> well, that... Wolverines. Captain America. That's adamantium. Captain America. No, vibra- vibranium is what they make Captain America shield. Captain America Correct. Shield. Yeah. And uh, I only remember that because I just saw the movie like a couple weeks ago. I'm not that much of a nerd. <laughs> um... Anyway, so uh, Pulsestorm uh, does a bunch of cool stuff. For uh, they have software and knowledge products, which Chris, you're very familiar with knowledge products, which is a, a, a way of saying books. Um, that uh, and a lot of the stuff is designed. Uh, uh, they're add-ons or uh, extensions to Magento. Woo! Uh, or Magneto, if we were being consistent with our the Magneto Commerce platform. So he's got some stuff like this thing, uh, Commerce Bug, which is a development debugging extension for Magento. And I've heard that's really cool because Ben told me. And um, let's see, Custom Checkout Step, which is, uh, oh, you can add a new step to Magento's one page and multiple address checkout workflows. Zero custom programming or development needed. So you guys are out of a job. Sorry. Um, let's see here. Uh, oh, No Frills Magento Layout, which is a book that tells you how to do layouts in, uh, in Magento, which I don't know if that's hard. Is that hard? It- it's it's more, it's more how would he know? Level of knowledge. How would he know how hard it is? He's okay. just an evangelist. How yeah, would he know? That's a good point. He won't admit it. And then, uh, No Frills Command Line Magento, which is another uh, e-book 
Uh, it's on LeanPub, uh, and that covers stuff about how to manage uh, Magento from the command line as well as PHP Symphony. A lot Composer of command well. line e-commerce happening in the world. Yeah, there yeah. is. Yeah, you yeah. just buy from the command line. People love it. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a, an API extension called Mercury API, which uh, it's, it says the missing link for Magento's XML, RPC, SOAP, and new REST API. Be able to improve SOAP performance via some caching, do a bunch of cool stuff. So if you're looking for, if you do Magento development, um, there's a bunch of good stuff in here. And super secret uh, thing that we have this week is you get a 20% off coupon. Uh, and you, you, you give them the code DEVHELL at checkout. D-E-V-H-E-L-L, lowercase. And you get 20% off. So that's pretty cool. So uh, you check that out. You got the pulse storm. You got the uh, what the robots fighting the uh, superheroes. It's all working out for everybody. So we got that. The uh, the next one up is uh, Graph Story, and I'm not sure I'm allowed to talk about them. Chris, am I allowed to talk about them? No. Uh, if, if they put five bucks down, you can say another line. Okay. All right. I think it might have to come out of my pocket. You can, you can expense it. Um, sure. So yeah. <laughs> Put five dollars on here. Oh, All right. Now we're talking. We'll take plastic. Yeah, we take plastic. Yeah. Wait, that says Tennessee on it. I don't think it's good. <laughs> so Confederate worth more. Yeah, right. It's all Confederate money. <laughs> so uh, our, our uh, next sponsor for today is Graph Story. And graph story is, I, I, gosh, I, I'm, I'm struggling to say things. Oh, hey, look. Okay, I'm, I can say much better things about them now. So, <laughs> tell us a good story, Ed. So, graph about story graphs. is uh, provides uh, graph database instances uh, in a software as a service kind of situation. And I just happened to start working for them last week. Um, but they're also a really cool company, and we're doing lots of cool stuff, and it's going to be really neat. So if you want to try out graph databases, which are super cool, trust me, I'm really excited about them. Um, and we showed some stuff. Uh, I could, we have a booth here that you can go check out, and we'll be there tomorrow, and uh, Jeremy Kendall and I will be able to show you some stuff. Hey, Jeremy's in the back. Say hi to everybody. Hi, Jeremy. The people listening can see him at the back. Yeah, exactly. Imagine a person there. And anyway, so that is what we're doing now. So you can come to the booth and you can check it out. We can show you some, some, some graph stuff. And we built some graph uh, things based on the packages. Um, uh, database information, we built a graph out of that and did some analysis on that. And uh, also did some stuff with... Uh, Twitter information or surrounding PHP tech, so we can show you some demos and visualizations that are all built on Neo4j, which is the graph database that we host there at Graph Story. So, um, and one of the things I'll tell you is we provide free instances. If you just sign up, uh, you get a 512 meg uh, instance for free. So it's pretty cool. You check it out. Again, it's graphstory.com. And I didn't say anything bad about them yet. Should I say some bad stuff? Well, are you through your probationary period yet? I don't know. I haven't got my first paycheck yet. Yeah, I would wait till. The okay, so we're going to wait. And wait till on, it doesn't. It is a startup, so you got to make sure it doesn't bounce either. Yeah, that's very possible. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, one of those. It was written and it had like a. It's just a handwritten check. 
I'm told, and it has like balloons on it and Snoopy. <laughs> hey man, as long as the routing number is good, it's yeah, exactly. Yeah, just cash it. So, so that's two down, two more. That's two down. We got two more, and then these are people I'm comfortable making fun of. Um, one of them is Wonder Network, just one network, but it's full of wonder. And they have a number of different products. Uh, they provide the live streaming, which we are not doing right now. So they're kind of of no use to us. But they provide several different products that let you do things like generally get a feel for how uh, the Internet and specifically a lot of your website stuff is working around the world. So they have things like Wonder Proxy. And I, we had a debate about what Wonder Proxy is. Um, now, Wonder Proxy, I think last time we forgot what it was. So I'm going to remind you that... Uh, you specifically? Yes, you specifically. That imagine you could go anywhere in the world. Audience, where would you like to go? Space. Canada. Peru? Okay, Canada. We got Canada, and we got a Peru over there. Tennessee. Europa. Okay, I like Europa. I like that. They do not have... A, uh, an instance yet in Europa. But <laughs> they do have at least one in Canada, maybe two, and they do have one in Peru, I think. And so what would you think if I told you that you could see what your website looked like in Peru right now? Nice. Yeah, right. I gotta <laughs> tell you, totally it, it's, the, it's the same. <laughs> There's no difference. Um, you, you forgot to internationalize. So, um, but what, that's one of the things they do is they provide, they have 169 locations in 72 countries on six continents. I don't know why they don't have the seventh continent. There's a lot of people in Antarctica. I know Reinheimer. Reinheimer has to get on that. Yeah, come on. We've all seen the thing. We know they have racks to put the... Yeah, they've got plenty of racks and space to put stuff down there, and it's melting, so it's not... For those who don't know, if you went and saw Gemma's talk on testing spaghetti, Gemma works for Wonder Network. Yes, Gemma Ansible. Yes, Gemma Gemma Ansible. Yeah. Uh, She works there, and she is awesome. And so that's one of the cool things they do, and they have a bunch of other products that are cool. Wonder VPN, that's the VPN service they have. Hey! Thanks for interrupting. Everyone's podcast. Uh, Where's it up? Uh, which is a cool thing to check out if where your site is and how it's available around the and world. And hopefully it's not running on the same same Amazon uh, region when your site goes down. Yeah, bad move. Uh, the uh, uh, natural load testing app. They got your global ping statistics. I don't. Even, I don't know what that means. I think that's just a guy typing ping into a command line, like <laughs> when you say, "Yeah, hey, how's it going?" Magic just happened. Oh. Hey, look, I had Maker's Mark. It's the Liquor Fairy. <laughs> we spoke of Wonder Network and alcohol appeared. So everyone's happy about that. What are you... What are you guys good? Can we have somebody from Tennessee bless this whiskey? <laughs> That's from Kentucky. Oh, it's from Kentucky. Fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit in here. <laughs> I think it'll be really good coffee. There we go. All right, beverage break. Good? Sorry. Uh, sorry, Wonder Network. <laughs> so we love Paul and Gemma and uh, Willpower. We're yeah, they do Willpower a lot of cool stuff. Yes. And they've been, giving us, they've been supporting us for a long time, and they're super cool people. <laughs> and then the fourth one, not as cool. 
definitely not. Rove Foundation. Um, we've heard the allegations of corruption. <laughs> skimming of money, the embezzlement. It's all Gary. Not Gary. No, it's all Gary. Gary. It's all Gary. He's skimming off the top. The converting of Amero dollars into pounds. And Gary, Gary's automated arbitrage system is actually quite impressive. The uh, cruel treatment of dogs, forcing them to program. <laughs> <laughs> For shame. Now, it's my understanding, Chris, maybe you can comment on this. There have been rumors that you actually just supervise a team of trained dogs to work on your projects. Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny okay. that statement. All right, fair enough. Well, that's pretty much where we're at right now. Uh, they are pretty flea-bitten, though. Yes. I, now, one of the things that I heard you were working on was specifically uh, websites that were aimed at people with dog vision. And I was curious about that choice. <laughs> Hold on. It's true, but I'm under NDA. Sorry. Mm. We can't talk about it right now. It came out as a sideline from the, the amber uh, monochrome. Yes, as, as we know, dogs don't see color well. I don't know if they don't see color at all. I think they can see a little color. Well, the biggest problem too. Can anyone comment on color, color vision? <laughs> Dogs can see amber. I approve of it. Dogs right. can see amber, which is why they will. All I do know is that working with the team of dogs is difficult because they can't tell the red from green in the test, so the code is a bit of a mess. Right. It all looks like it's passing to me. Yeah. <laughs> which explains a lot about the quality of work. They see like Mark Zuckerberg does. That's the same okay. <laughs> so that explains why Facebook crashes all the time. All the variable names are in the shape of like how paws hit the keyboard. I've noticed lots of lots of Unicode emojis. But if you ever want to really tweak them, you use a cat as one of the variables. Okay. This is snowman. Just a snowman. It's just a snowman operator. All right. Um, and uh, but R the Rove Foundation uh, has uh, been sending some people uh, to conferences and stuff. Yes, right? with uh, with Rove, what we've been trying to do is find people that um, want to attend conferences, but for whatever reason, uh, they have problems getting opportunities, they have problems with the money, problems getting time off work, whatever. So we work with uh, we find people that want to sponsor and provide tickets for conferences, and we try to hook that up. Uh, for all the fun stuff that we poke at Gary, this is all Gary Hawkins' initiative, um, and at Rove, we're actually quite proud that he's. Working his butt off over in the UK to try to get as many people to conferences as possible. Right. Yeah. Not in the UK though. Uh, yeah. For now, it's not in the UK. But it's right. So he's kind of he's kind of a Benedict Arnold of <laughs> England. Well, he's Welsh. Oh, well, shit. Explains everything. That's, he, like I told you, he he his name is Gary, but I said you got vowels in there that can't possibly. Yeah, I was going to say he's name. got vowels in this. It's Gareth, like G R Y T H. Really? Yeah. All Gareth, right. Well, whatever that guy. Um, so Rove does a lot of cool stuff, consulting, something else. I don't know, something with dog hearing, I guess. Dog hearing, dog vision. Yeah. Well, it's like now you guys are doing also stuff that is it's um, web audio that only dogs can hear. Correct. Yes. High frequency web audio. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's nice. I'm gonna have a dog whistle play on my website. Well, you have the hand button. We'll get you hooked up with the with the dog whistle. You button. can't hear it. Yeah. Dogs go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, so those are our sponsors. So I want to thank all the sponsors for making it possible for us to hear. Of course, I should also thank the, the Grumpy Foundation. Yes. Who uh, made it possible for me to be here. Correct. Plunked down, my, plunked down my own cold, hard cash so Ed could come here. That was very nice. Very nice of him. So blame him if you don't. Thank you, me. Mm-hmm. There we go. Let's all give some applause for ourselves. And uh, well, we that, need it. Clap. No, Need one of those light up signs. Applause. applause. Yeah. Next time. Right. We'll make that for next year. Laugh now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we can find one on Craigslist. Sure, we can find one on Craigslist. Oh yes, yeah. Could somebody get on Craigslist and find us some stuff for tonight? Hookers. Whatever that might be. <laughs> Not appropriate. I don't know who said that over there. Keep your mouth shut. It was Jeff. Okay, fair enough. It's okay. <laughs> right. I thought it was Jason back there. He's got his headphones on. He's not even listening to me. <laughs> I Our VP of project management, Jason. I forget your last name now. Doesn't he pay you? Okay, that's right. I am. Now I have got patient. I, this may not work out. <laughs> I think you got a future in stand up. And then sitting down. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I also made my spreadsheet disappear. How did that happen? Oh, we don't need that right now. Do nice. You? Okay. So we are, we're through our sponsors, and now we can introduce our super ultra special guest. You in the back may not know who it is yet. And so it's, uh, I want to say Yitz Wilfork. Like Vince Wilfork. <laughs> Vince Wilfork? Can you say, how do you say, from the New England Patriots how do you say your whole first name? Yitzchak. Yitzchak. That kind of sounds, it sounds a little like Klingon. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I hear this. Right, okay. Do you have one of those things? What are they called? The Batlove. Yeah, thank you. I knew, I knew this audience would come through for us. It's Will Roth. I, my middle name is Roth. There you go. So we have a connection there right now. And uh, people know you as Code Rabbi on Twitter. And you've been doing a really, really cool Super World Tour. So can, can you tell us a little bit about that? Like how? Okay. <laughs> good night, everybody. Yeah, good night. Good night. <laughs> uh, how'd you get the? Wh- why? <laughs> kind of asking myself that question. Yeah. Okay. About now, to tell you the truth. Sure. Yeah. Right. And I don't know the answer. I really don't know the answer. Okay. I had a. I was invited to PHP Benelux in January. Mm-hmm. Decided that hadn't been to Europe in quite some time. Was going to take a little vacation, and then was invited to PHP UK in February. So as I was uh, kind of looking at the calendar, I realized I was only be home for ten days. Mm. So oh, you know what? Let's just stay between the two. And uh, make the wife mad. Yeah, you know, just go for broke and spend five weeks in Europe. Uh, the math didn't work out right with that, uh, to travel and do the whole tourism thing. So I decided I'd see people instead of places mm-hmm. and go to user groups mm-hmm. and uh, tap into a little corporate funding to take the edge off of everything. Mm-hmm. And somewhere in that uh, whole thing, uh, in a game of uh, chicken with the PHP community, I committed to doing 50 user groups in 2015. All right. So that, that was a terrible idea. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> right, pretty much. I think we all understand that. Um, do you know, like, so it is... May 20th. Yeah. Do you know what count are you at right now? I've done 19. 19. So you're a bit behind. All right. A drop. Can somebody do the math on that? Can we plot a graph? (laughs) (laughs) All right, thanks. All right. He's on it. 
Let's talk more about it. Now, you've been... Um, you have, what's the talk that... Do you have one talk that you're primarily giving? So the talk that I'll give here tomorrow as the keynote is Talmudic Maxims to Maximize Your Growth as a Software Developer, mm-hmm. which is a basic soft skills, leveling up as a dev talk, uh, personal growth and development, uh, software craftsmanship, community, etc., with uh, you know, a little uh, rabbi shtick as the hook. Right. So that's the primary talk uh, at conferences. Uh, and if the user group is not too proximate in time or location to a conference, I'll, I'll typically try to do that talk there as well. Mm-hmm. It's very, very well received. People, people seem to enjoy it. Uh, but we'll do other talks as, uh, as well if it happens to be that I'm too close uh, you know, to a conference. It wouldn't make sense to do the same talk there. Right, I got you. Okay. Chris, come up with some questions. Hmm. Well, other than saying I'm like jealous that he gets to go around and talk to all these places. Yeah, that's nice. While I'm stuck working with dogs and <laughs> right high frequency audio. Um, the kennels. Yeah, <laughs> this is flashbacks to when I was a kid and my parents got me a dog to keep me out of trouble. It looks like it didn't work. Um, You've got a tattoo. I got a tattoo. That's right, mom. I got a tattoo just to tweak you. Um, in the end. I don't think my mom actually listens to the podcast, but if she does, I still love you, mom. She doesn't. We talked, and she doesn't. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So, um, as someone like I speak at a lot of conferences, have you found that the talk talk itself is starting to evolve and change as you give it? Because I give talks and I try to see if I can kind of understand what, for a particular talk, what resonated with the audience Mm -hmm. and what didn't, but always trying to keep a core. Are you finding that the... Because I find talks... I mean, maybe I'm the only one that feels this way, but I find talks kind of take on a life of their own and they kind of go where they want to go as you give them, especially if you're the type of speaker like me that wants to pepper anecdotes in with the story. You'll think of something or something happened to you uh, a week ago. So are you finding that the talk itself is evolving or are you pretty much giving the same talk all the time? Pretty much the same talk. Uh, I do tweak the slides a little bit every time, neurotically, uh, the night before. And uh, I do swap out some anecdotes, but it's of a repertoire of anecdotes. Uh, I really haven't added anything completely new in a few months. Uh, the first version, I really kind of captured lightning in a bottle. It was very, very well received. So there's been really little in, the term, in terms of wholesale changes. And uh, unlike a tech talk, the tech talks that I do are relatively off the cuff. So I will, based on audience feedback, you know, body language, et cetera, I'll swap things in and out. I might skip through a couple of slides very quickly and dwell on a point maybe longer uh, this time than I did in a previous time. But this talk, I follow a pretty tight script. I actually am at the podium with a, with a verbatim script, and so I'm very, very uh, cognizant that certain, certain phrasings resonate better than others, and I want to make sure that I hit those. So. Sure. Um, so one of the things I do like about all these talks that you're giving is that it's a focus on the soft skills <laughs> yeah. side of things. Now, I know that recently some people um, in the PHP community, and I I've talked about this, I know Adam Kolf talked about this when he was on a podcast about how he was being told that a lot of the attendees were kind of complaining that the talks at, at the conferences weren't, um, weren't technical enough and that there was a demand for more technical hardcore content. Now, my personal opinion on this is that um, developers would be a lot better suited to learn soft skills, like how to actually like get along with people and how to look people in the eye when you talk to them and all the other things, uh, kind of the classic uh, uh, away in a, uh, slaving away in a cubicle, uh, you know, picture that we have the developers. So um, I think soft skills talks are super important. I mean, uh, 
all the things that I've done to build my career up to where it is right now are not because of the technical stuff, because the technical stuff just comes with time and you work on enough projects, you learn all this stuff. But the soft skills are stuff that I had to work at, and I think a lot more developers should be working on this as well. Yeah, I agree. I think the soft skills talks, soft skills in general, are much higher leverage than technical talks and technical skills in terms of making both a more dramatic impact and a longer-term impact. You know, what you learn about a particular technology today it's what, got a shelf life two years, three years, maybe. And what would it have taken you to learn it on your own? It bought you a month's time. You know, you, you got to it more quickly by seeing it uh, at a conference than you otherwise would have by a month or so. Uh, whereas with the soft skills, you know, you're learning from, from your peers and from their experiences and leveraging the, their, their uh, learning from within their careers. And it's something that will suit you, you know, your, entire, your entire business life. Yeah. Now, from your experiences on getting feedback from people uh, about the various soft skills topics that you covered, if you were to like, if someone was to come up to you and say, of all these kind of soft skills that you've talked about, if I had to pick one and kind of learn that soft skill, what one do you think that most developers seem deficient at that if they learned it would really benefit themselves? So it's not a particular skill. Uh, per se, so much as it is an attitude. And I try to emphasize in my talk that there, you don't really get extra credit for doing things the hard way. And that there are resources in the community, mentors, uh, your peers, uh, and that leveraging those uh, is really, really key. You know, that uh, there are shortcuts available. Uh, and, and those exist in your community and in, in connecting with others. And uh, not to fall into that trap. As developers, I think a lot of times we fall into the trap of we want to learn it, we want to learn it up on our own and we want to figure this out. We can just hack through this. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's your passion, it's not your passion, but it's the way we feed our families. And I don't think there's any real bonus for, for you know, slowing your career arc so that you could do it all on your own. And so connecting with the community and leveraging the, the peer resources that are available, I think, is key. And that's why I try to emphasize. That's interesting. Um, I, I, I'm, a lot of times with soft skill stuff, uh, I think you'll find that there's some folks who uh, really dig it. There's some folks who you're not really sure about. Did you get a lot of people coming up and talking to you about stuff that, like extended after the fact about yeah. like where their careers go and yeah. things like I that? I get a tremendous amount of uh, you know at the time at the conferences. I get a tremendous amount of follow up questions. Uh, personally, you know, it's it's typically a keynote, and even when it's not, it's a keynote esque type talk. Right. So people are you know don't really react to it with public questions, but in the hallway, uh, people approach me, and I get a lot of email questions, uh, you know, as well, uh, Twitter back channel, etc. It's really generated a, just a, I, I was shocked, uh, a tremendously, tremendously positive response from the community. Yeah. I think that's interesting. And it's, it's interesting that there's, a, you know, you wonder about, I know we talked a little bit about, like, maybe a little bit of pushback on what we call soft talks. And I, I, I never, I never liked that term, I mean, first off, because... Because it implies that they're not as valuable. Yeah, kind of. You know, I mean, your, your ability to figure out the latest JavaScript framework is more important than your ability to not be an asshole towards your coworkers. Yeah, and I and I guess at the end of the day, what I've always felt like is actually that stuff is more important. I mean, so I do a talk that I've done a couple times called "How to Be a Great Developer," and it is not a technical talk at all. All it talks about is what is sort of how you interact with people, how you learn, 
and and those kind of processes. Um, but what I've always found is that the folks who I, I've enjoyed working with the most, and I think the people who were the best at their jobs, weren't necessarily ones who I would you were sort of like mentats in terms of like just having an extreme skill in terms of uh, programming or extreme knowledge or things like that where it's sort of these outliers. But what they were were people who had really, really good skills in terms of communication, uh, in terms of ability to empathize with fo- other folks. And um, uh, that, uh, and be able to be able to take that and turn that into building something. Um, I just, I don't know. I've just always found that that's the stuff that I think works out best. And those are the things that real developers who are really effective and really good, those are the kinds of things that they have. Those are the traits that they have. Well, it's like that old saying, for most people, they spend more time with their coworkers than with their families, for most people. I think that's so true. the ability to like get along and get the most out of your coworkers, um, it'll save you tons of grief. Like the idea of what Yitz was saying, like, you know, that many people feel like they have to do everything themselves. I mean, that can be a very isolating feeling for someone where they feel like no one else around them can help them. They have to do everything themselves. So the the stress of doing that plus the stress when they finally have to, in many cases, reintegrate the work that they've been doing with what everyone else has been doing, that can cause lots of stress and, and friction. Um, so again, I, I mean, soft versus hard is probably the wrong label. It's more like technical versus um, personal skills. So Yeah, and well, you know, something I just thought of was that then I lost it. Yeah, well. <laughs> All right, so we've been yammering on a little bit. I know that we talked about we actually want to take uh, some questions. Yeah, I want to think of this thing, though. It was a really good point. Uh, it'll come to you when someone else is asking a more important question. Oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> no, nah, I don't know what it is. Let's take some questions. If All I, right, if I, so, I'll think of it. In a, in all right. A minute, yeah. So we will take some questions from the audience Semi-serious questions, please. We reserve the right to ignore. Semi. Only semi. All right. No questions? All right. Who's got a question? Go for it. All right at the back there. Do you think there's a point at which you have to choose between one or another? There's only so many hours in the day. You kind of have to figure out where you're going to spend your time that has the most value. I mean, you can think of time as currency. You've got a fixed amount. You've got a budget. And... You know, you can spend developing technical skills is a rabbit. You can spend all kinds of time on that. Um, is there a point at which one becomes diminishing returns on the other? Well, I'll start off with uh, a thought on this. So, one of the talks I'm wanting to do that I'm starting to formulate one is one on time management. Right? Um, you're absolutely right. Like the question was, do you feel like there at some point there's uh, you only have so much time? And that investment in skills, either technical or the soft ones, that there's or personal ones, not soft ones, personal ones, that there's some diminishing returns. So what happens is that really you're having to choose what you want to spend your time doing. Everyone has the same. Everybody has the same amount of time available to them. Um, you know, I just learned to do a whole bunch of things on the personal side. To like, I live off of my calendar. I set aside time to do all sorts of things, even in my home life, scheduling time hanging out with my wife, stuff I have to do with the kids, chores, all that stuff. I put it all in the calendar so I can kind of see already, here's all the things that I've committed myself to. And then I make, then I have flex slots and stuff, and I just kind of decide. So you have to kind of decide what's important to you personally. Like, you clearly you can't do it all. Um, but my feelings are that I've gotten way more 
out of my career by concentrating on the people skills than the technical ones. After, after a certain period of time in your career, there is really very little that is new that, that when you come across it, you will not understand and figure out how to use. So when you, uh, you talk about something like the, uh, if you lump PHP in the family of like Perl type of scripting languages, right? Um, Perl, Ruby, Python, JavaScript to a certain extent, they're all kind of similar. So you've gone past the syntax, so you don't really have to learn any new syntax. You have to learn a few syntactic things. You may learn some idiomatic ways to do things, but in the same, those languages are all the same. You know, solving problems, they're all very similar. So no, you really don't, don't have to schedule any more time figuring those things out. You should be able to pick those things up pretty quickly. So instead, it's like now that I kind of have dynamic language programming somewhat down pat and understand things, that I can then concentrate on the other things. So it's... Would you consider that part of the process? You know, learning soft skills as part of the process. The, the uh, tutorial that you did was great. It's probably the best one that I've been to in all the times that I've been to. And that... But that tells me it's like, at this point in my career, I've got... I've got I can code. You know, at this point, I've reached the point where I'm competent with code. It does... The soft skills kind of fall under the process kind of umbrella. Can you look at it that way? I mean, that's a technical way to look at it. Yeah. I'm a technical yeah. guy. We're all technical people, so does that make sense? I'm, I'm not sure how to answer the question asked that way. I'll share my thoughts on the subject in general. I tweeted something recently that resonated with a lot of people, and I said that senior developer and junior human being is not a winning combination. Mm -hmm. The opposite is a home run, meaning the most successful teams are adequate developers that work exceptionally well together. And if you consider that you are a product and your career is your business, so you can use an analogy to a startup with a product. Those that succeed, those that thrive, those that make it, typically uh, launch with an MVP and first flight developer experience or first flight user experience. So your technical skills are your MVP and your human skills are your user experience. Yep. That's, that's really deep. Man. I'm a rabbi. This guy's pretty good. <laughs> hey, uh, that was pretty good. Hey. Next question. Oh, you know what? I thought of something. I thought of what I was going to say. Okay. So my question is not a question. Um, <laughs> but what you're... <laughs> What you're talking about, about some folks who, who seem kind of focused on sort of learning on their own, not taking shortcuts and stuff, I think that some of us consciously, some of us unconsciously, as in all the folks that are here and lots of folks who aren't here, um, are participating in what I would call open source culture. And all the, the technologies that we use have all been built within that culture and come out of that. And one of the things that I think is notable and exceptional about open source culture as opposed to just open source in, in a very legalistic sense is that collaborative learning is really what open source culture is built upon and that is fundamental to it um, that is learning from one another that is sharing what you know and learning from another person who shares what they know and I, I think that that is the nature of the beast. That's what you're getting into. And that's what's so great about open source culture. Otherwise, it's just 
not instead of having one person or one company writing a bunch of books about a programming language, it's a bunch of company writing books about a programming language. Um, so it, otherwise, it's, I don't think it's that compelling. Um, but what I find compelling and consistently rewarding is that collaborative learning culture that is so much a part of open source culture. And so that's what I was going to say. Thank you. I'm glad you all waited for it. So. <laughs> hey. Oh, come on. All right, next question. I was scared. Get off your damn phone. <laughs> I was just joking. That's fine. Yeah. Ramsey, ask a question. No, uh, this guy. Ramsey, legitimate question. question. All right, Jeremy. Uh, do you feel that the in debating soft talks versus hard talks follow up? That it's a it's a matter of uh, immediate satisfaction with a hard talk where you're getting like code on the screen, it's like a quick hit technology, versus a soft talk which is promoting like long term growth or uh, less skills that you can't like walk away and say, oh, I learned. I I beg the question. Uh, I I heard that from Adam as well, uh, but I attend a lot of conferences and I just don't see it. Uh, the most well attended talks are the soft skills talks. I was in a packed room earlier today to talk, uh, talk about uh, meditation and mindfulness, uh, working with one, uh, more effectively with one's coworkers and being more performant in the workplace. It was packed, and the twi my Twitter blew up uh, over that talk. Samantha gave a talk today about uh, teamwork, and I didn't get a chance to see that, actually, but I understand also packed room and the Twitter feed literally blew up. Uh, the tech talks are, you know, they're you know semi-full room and people enjoy them. But you know, I see the headliners at conferences that I attend being the soft skills talks. So I'm just not hearing. I'm just not hearing it. I think I've gone to soft skills talks where I've instantly grasped something by being in there and come away with something actionable right then and there when I go out. And other ones, tech talks, where I'm like, it just kind of rattles around in my rattles around in my brain for a while until I finally figure it out. So I think what's important is the content, not whether it's related to personal skills or technical skills. Some talks resonate with people right away. Some are just, might as well just, whoop, they might as well just been there, you know, on Twitter uh, writing a book instead of listening to the, to the person talk. I'll say the best, as a speaker, the strongest positive reactions I've gotten and the most follow-up feedback that I've gotten have always been about talks that were not just a, a technical topic. They were always about... Hat, you know those those uh, personal skills, those interaction skills, those uh, let's call them life skills. You know, yeah. uh, and so that's why I I guess I I wonder now I I will see that if we I can imagine a situation where you say I am going to conference X because I am going to learn Y. And that is how I justify the time off and the money spent. Because somebody's got to spend some money, whether you're doing it on your own or somebody's giving you money to go to this conference. And it may be the case that there's a belief that, it, that certain, oh, we need to learn about topic X, that that is somehow more tangible. So there may be a belief about that. I, I, but I, I don't think that that actually, I think that is a failure of some workplace culture and not really a failure of conferences to give people what they want and need from what I can perceive. Uh, again, because 
the best reactions I've ever gotten have been to t things that were not technical talks. Those are the things that people keep asking me about. Yeah, I've not done this for a long time, but uh, I give technical talks as well, and I've never gotten an email three months later about one of my technical talks saying, hey, I attended your technical talk three months ago, and it's made such a tremendous difference for me. I get emails like that every week on my soft skills talks. Hashtag humblebrag. Yeah, hashtag humblebrag. Yeah. So Mr. Ramsey? I actually have a legitimate question now, now that I'm not Thank on the spot. Thank you. Um, we just had to give you five minutes to come up with something. Yeah. That's, that's how it usually, how long it usually takes me. You're, you're busy working on the launch party for your website. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, so, uh, actually, I, I was thinking while, while you were talking, I have been speaking for quite a long time, and uh, most... Oh, oh, oh. Oh, <laughs> I, I have never tried to dip my foot into the soft skills side. Um, uh, it was always technical, and then a few years ago, uh, I had been reading some books, uh, just some things started clicking well for me, and uh, my boss said, uh, hey, you really probably should try to figure out how to teach people how you like debug things. Um, and I started thinking about that, and it wasn't really just about debugging. It was just about my approach to development was more of an intuitive kind of, kind of style. Mm -hmm. So I started working on a talk about that, and I find that... Is this a question or this is a question? This is getting to it's getting to a question. Uh, I think maybe no uh, no question. Sorry, no. Uh, so this is coming back to the whole like you, you were talking about Adam Culp talking about Sunshine Peach. We all hate Adam, right? That's right. And um, I love Adam. I love Adam. No, Adam's a great guy. He's, good. Just um, he's probably he's probably running on his way here right now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Adam, I love you, and I really want to go to Vegas. His runs take as, take as long as my stories do to tell. Um, so in Madison PHP, I gave this talk for the first time, but well, I'd given it at a, as a keynote before. I'd been kind of like... He's really telling a story. Yeah, whatever. Fuck you. <laughs> All right, next question. He said he's been talking for a long time. I didn't know he meant tonight. Yeah, right, right now is what yeah. it was. Yeah. Come on, Ben. Do you find out. that the audiences where you speak and give these soft talks uh, vary on how receptive they are to them. Like, at Madison PHP, people were so receptive to the talk that I gave. And then I gave the same exact talk at Sunshine PHP, and it fell flat, like, horribly. Yeah. What's Madison PHP Well, I, I, you know, I, I want to hear what you have to say, yes, but I definitely think that's the case. Um, I've been I've spoken for a few years at Open Source Bridge in Portland, another one of those damn hippie cities, <laughs> and they are. Cons I can tell the difference in I'm the gonna, audience. I'm gonna go get a drink while you're talking. Okay, so everybody, Chris is leaving because Hi, he needs more alcohol, <laughs> and nobody would get him one, so he had to leave. The studio. There's a bottle of whiskey. Right there. That's not what he wants. He wants. He wants to unleash the kraken. He wanted a something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Give me one of those southern beers. South of the border. Oh. So they give him a Corona, and they, he's like, what's this? Anyway, um, the point is, I definitely see a difference in audiences. 
And sometimes it's sort of predictable in the sense that there are some communities that are a little more in touch with that stuff. Like the social groups feel, I can tell they, they feel a little more in touch with that. Um, that's been my experience. And then there's some where it's kind of like, like I did a, I did a talk at uh, the uh, Dev Workshop Conference that was in Indianapolis. And, you know, not a lot of people came out for it. Couple people did come up to me. They seem to appreciate it a lot, but I definitely get, have, I get better attendance, and I sort of get more feedback from certain from certain places, certain audiences. But I figure, I still think it's worth it to do that. I, it's it's tough because maybe it didn't fall flat. Maybe it meant a lot to those folks, and maybe it did make an impact. But the tendency is what's sort of valued a little bit more in that social structure and that let's say subculture uh, what as it may be uh, that that is uh, it isn't as obviously valued necessarily maybe there's more of that like well it's, it seems less tangible so how do I how do I justify that but um, I, I you know I, I, uh, I think that it does you know I do see differences um, but I still think it's valuable and I think it's valuable to reach out to places that aren't getting that stuff as much I mean, I've spoken at Open Source Bridge a lot. They probably, some of the stuff, maybe they needed a little bit less than some other folks that I might work at or I might talk at. So I'm real interested to hear what you have to say about that. I don't know that I've yet attended uh, a breadth enough of conferences to, to really see much, uh, much difference. Uh, primarily PHP conferences, a few polyglot conferences, just now starting to get some traction uh, outside the PHP community. I'm looking forward to going to Open Source Bridge this year, as a matter of fact. Oh, awesome. Um, so I, it's, it's been pretty much, pretty much the same. It's been you know, relatively well-received uh, across the board. Um, you know, attendance ebbs and flows, and I think that has to, does have to do with the flavor of the conference and what the expectation is of the, the body of attendees, you know, conference purchasing, uh, ticket purchasing. It's a self-selecting group of people. So if the conference is a little bit more technically oriented, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Sunshine, for instance, and if that's Adam's uh, approach, is, uh, he, he highlights the, the more highly technical talks. So his attendees are going to have an expectation of more highly technical talks, and they're going to appreciate those more. So the attendance at a soft skills talk is going to be down. But I think Ed's right. Uh, the people who are there appreciate it just as much as the people who are in a crowded room at a conference that's maybe more oriented to that. It's just as fulfilling for them because, again, it's self-selecting. They're a self-selecting subset of this uh, of, of this community. Yeah. No. Um, you know, I, I think that conferences could have a, a fair bit of impact in terms of who kind of shows up, too, based on what they choose to highlight, too. Yeah. If they've chosen a talk like yours as a keynote, people show up kind of because it's a keynote and because... The conference organizers have indicated it's important. Yeah, it's special. And if it's sort of another on a list of stuff, it's not. You know, it's sort of they have influence, Chris. I mean, you know this that you can have a fair bit of influence who who comes to certain kinds of things based on how you choose to highlight. Oh, it's stuff, it's right? totally like that stuff is all under the control of the organizers. The organizers are setting the tone by the type of type of talks they're accepting and by the people that they're accepting, by the venue, by uh, how many tracks you choose to go with, by what length of talks you want to have. Like, so much of that kind of feel for a conference is 
it's out of the hands of the speakers themselves. They're being invited to come, and it's this idea that the organizers are trying to curate the type of experience that they want people to have. I mean, it's I, I find from all the conferences that I've been to, to me, it's usually pretty obvious when a when a, a talk doesn't seem to fit the theme. And I think conferences have themes. Uh, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's like deliberate. Like uh, something that happens in the PHP community. Uh, that's a more recent thing. Are conferences about specific sets of technology? So, like Symphony conferences, uh, Laravel conferences, um, Magento, uh, stuff like that. That's a kind of a relatively new thing, right? So, though they're just the name of it, they're saying that we want to be focused on a particular set of technologies. So, it's very easy to look at a talk and say that one kind of sticks out like a sore thumb, right? right? So. As a conference organizer, it's all up to you to set the tone and say, this is the feel that I want, this is the type of type of speakers that I want, and then these are the type of attendees that I want. Because I'm always constantly thinking about the people who have come to the conference in the past, the type of people I would like to come, and then try to figure out, is this mix of talks and speakers going to accomplish those types of goals? I mean, sure, we have a bunch of checklists. Being a Canadian-focused conference, we want a, a higher percentage of, of Canadian speakers, so we may pick a talk that's not as much as a thematic fit in terms of like content, but because our attempt is to highlight um, Canadian speakers, it kind of fits what we're trying to do. So, But that stuff is all under the control of the organizers. Do you think that, I'm wondering if you maybe just speak to this a little bit, that sort of the flip side of that is how much do conference organizers have to think about what they can get people to come to. I mean, obviously, you need to sell tickets. You need to get people to show up. Right. And I think the flip side of that must be, well, I, I mean, like, if you, I mean, what would you think if you did, like, a whole thing that didn't have any technical talks at all in it? I, I'm just guessing that, that you would feel like that was more of a risk. I, I think so. Like, for, for True North, something like that would definitely um, um, be a risk. I mean, Idea of a of a conference strictly around the uh, like career development and stuff like that. I mean, it it could be a hard sell. I mean, I think you'd have to look and see have have other conferences had success even with that type of model. I mean, what seems to work in the kind of more recent conferences is a good mix. There's clearly a demand that people want to see more than just technical talks, more than just talks about the latest technologies and how to use them. People are now cognizant of of that they have to develop their career. I mean, uh, many years ago, I decided I just didn't want to be a code monkey. I just didn't want to be just a programmer. Mm-hmm. I wanted more. I wanted more, in my cases, I wanted more control. I was tired of working in situations where I had no control, no control over my assignments, no control over my coworkers, no control over, uh, over working hours, all those things. So everything I started doing was all around trying to get that freedom, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, it was like, uh, I, I did a talk about this that I've done at user groups, a more condensed one, um, about just like how I ended up where I am. So I kind of talked about how I approach jobs. For me, jobs are always about, um, there was a certain set of skills that I wanted to learn. So I found jobs that I thought would help me develop those skills. And then when I developed the skills that I wanted, then I would look, look for the next opportunity. And so, you know, move from this job to this job to this job, hopped around a lot, you know, then I decided I want to work from home. And then when I work from home, I want to do different type of work. So in terms of conferences, it's almost the same thing. You're like, I want... I want developers to come here, and because we're not a really narrowly focused conference, so like I want people to be able to build a wide range of skills. So that's why when I'm looking at talk submissions, I'm looking at things like, so we have PHP at the core, but we still need, we still need people still want 
um, you know, personal and career development talks. They want to find out because some people just literally don't know. They're like, I, I, like I want to do these things, but I just, I, where do I start? Like, you know, I feel this way about my job. I don't want to feel that way. I need someone to kind of point me in the right direction. And all things like, then we're looking at complementary technologies. We have PHP at the base, but there's lots of front-end stuff, so we got to make sure that we're going to have some, some people interested in finding out about front-end, so about uh, CSS and about JavaScript. And then, and then kind of some tangentially related talks about new technologies that maybe I think are going to be important to developers. So in the end, really, it's like, it's a sad thing to say, but any conference, even one as big and successful as, as tech, the attendees are at the mercy of the organizers. If the organizers fuck it up, um, they'll know. They'll know based on comments. They'll know based on empty rooms for talks. They'll know on the buzz where more people choose to hang out in the lobby than being in the talks. Those are all signals. And you have to kind of pay it when you're organizing a conference. You have to pay attention to those. I notice, I mean, I, I, I notice those things way more than I used to. Mm -hmm. I, I notice at conferences that I go to, whether the attendees seem really engaged, if they're interested in going to the, if they're interested in going to the talks, or if they're just interested in hanging out, are they interested in connecting with other people? Those are all kind of things you have to watch. Because you're trying to, the reason to invite people to come to the conference is you're trying to build a community up. You're trying to get more people away from being uh, that label that people have talked about, dark developers, where they're working with a set of tools, but they don't have any concept of the community and other people who are using these tools. So I use conferences as a way to try to get these people to be less in the dark and find out there are lots of other people, way more than they think who are using the same tools as, as them, but have different experiences, and getting to talk to these people, I think is like super important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You mentioned something, Ed. I, well, you alluded to it without really coming right out and spelling it out, and I think it, it, it bears emphasizing. Uh, not, I'm not a, uh, a conference organizer, but I can kind of put myself in that, uh, in that headspace, I think, to an extent, that there are two markets. There's the market of people who attend, and they're mar the market of people who pay for the tickets for attendees. Mm -hmm. And there's some slight overlap in the middle, but there's a whole lot that fit in one of those circles that don't fit in the other. So in terms of selecting a mix of talks, uh, you have to have talks that both speak to those people that are writing the checks and approving the travel, et cetera. And you have to have talks that are actually going to be well attended and that people are going to enjoy attending. And I think that's, to a large extent, where we get the hard talk, soft talk uh, dichotomy, is that uh, those people are saying, we need more hard talks, we need more hard talks. I, what, what do I hear? I hear we need to sell more tickets. We need to convince corporate entities to pay for the developers to come. Yet then when they're there, it's the soft skills talks that are more meaningful to those developers and those are the ones that are more well attended. You know, it's like I, I hear about where sometimes some companies don't want to send their developers to conferences because they're worried that there's going to be recruiters and other yeah. stuff there too. So that's even kind of a weird barrier. I mean, that's that old joke, you know, you know, you know, what if we pay developer? What if we train developers and and uh, they leave? And then it's like, well, what if we don't train them and they stay? Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, Richard Branson said, train people well enough that they can leave, but treat them well enough so that they don't want to. He's a smart guy. <laughs> Former coworkers. Yeah. I no. choose my coworkers. There you go. Right, and then you left. Right. <laughs> no, I left before him. That was the key. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I've trained you well, I must go. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> My work here is done. I jumped out of the nest and I was all set. So, yeah. question over there, yes. No, he was just excited about it. He was just excited, he was like, giving us a big fascist salute. Training well and then leaving, Oh, as an internet superstar, I always have to be one step ahead of all the trends. Yeah, uh, yeah, that question. Dragon Man Tank. Yeah. Do you think it's important for speakers to have both hard and soft talks? Or is it okay to focus on just one or the other? 
I, I'll say first that um, when I submit to CFPs, I now submit both a technical talk that I think will get that has a good chance of getting in, and the talks I actually want to give. Yeah. It, yeah. it depends on what your goal is. If your goal is to, be, to get accepted, I think yes, you need both. You need a mix. Uh, to specialize in one, though, uh, I, you know, I don't think it undermines your credibility at all yeah. to be, you know, just a technical talk person or just a softer skills talk person. I don't think that undermines your credibility, and that, that you have to have one to complement the other. But uh, I found it much more effective to you know, offer a, a bit of a smorgasbord in terms of uh, possible talks to selection committees. Like a, like a lot a, of committees will, would rather take one person who's going to give two talks because that means they only have to pay for one if they're paying for travel and, and hotel. Oh, no, I, mean, I submit like 12 talks. That's not the problem. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I kind of agree with what like Ed was and, and Yitz have sort of said where like, you have to decide, like, is, the goal, is the goal just to get accepted? Or is it the goal to give a talk that you like really believe in and think that you can really deliver well? I mean, I give multiple talks, uh, or I submit multiple talks because I understand how, how this works. Multiple talks means multiple chances of your talk being accepted. And again, as Ed alluded to, when you have travel expenses um, to worry about, uh, organizers would love it when someone can give two talks. But I would be more like, I only want to submit talks that I think I can do a really good job of delivering. And um, whether they're uh, technical talks or personal development talks is not really the thing that I personally worry about. So I just worry about when I come with a talk idea, do I feel I can deliver it and do it really, really well? Because if I start delivering a whole bunch of really crappy talks, then I'm not going to get invited back to speak anymore. And then, and then that causes a whole other cascade to my career where it's like sometimes, you know, you know I mean, in reality, you only have a limited run in you to speak at conferences. I mean, the idea of a technical programming conference, uh, it's not a new thing, but like my career is like, uh, like 17, almost 18 years long now, and I've been going to conferences for like about the second half of that career, and I'm starting to feel like there, there might be a point, unless I work really hard at it, that my speaking career will have a shelf life, and that at some point I will no longer be able to summon the necessary grumpiness and skill to give interesting talks. Because I do want to interest and entertain people. That's why I do the podcast. That's why I try to work humor into my talks. But there, there might come a time when I feel like there's no point in me submitting anymore because I can't deliver the type of high-quality talk that I want to. So I would just like, you can spray a zillion talks hoping to get selected, or you can put a lot of thought into a good abstract, a good topic, and do everything you can to convince the organizers that I can deliver on this promise of a good talk. That's yeah. what I'm So for me, the goals are somewhat inseparable. Getting accepted and getting my message across right. and getting it out there to an audience, I have to have an audience. And to have that audience, I have to get accepted. And the economic realities are that uh, no matter how good your primary talk is, usually they're going to want you to give a secondary talk, a second talk as well if they're paying for travel, especially if they're paying for international travel, you're going to speak twice. And so I typically will submit my primary talk and a series of secondary talks that I'm perhaps not passionate about, but can speak competently on, uh, so that I get an audience for the for the primary talk. It's kind of a necessary evil. Yeah, there's certainly a standard of quality that you can't dip below, uh, but uh, 
you know, I, yeah, I, I give some technical talks where uh, I know people appreciate the information and I'm capable of giving the information. I don't get excited uh, prior to the talk like I do uh, with my primary soft skills talks. I definitely, uh, the way I think of it is I, I'm Trojan horsing it big time. <laughs> uh, that sounds kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so it's not like I don't want to talk about this stuff. I, I'm capable of giving a good talk on it. But really what I'm trying to do is X. And But sometimes, and I've had conference organizers tell me they think that I should do, I should submit a technical talk as well because it's more likely that I'll be able to give, I'll be able to get in. And you delete those responses, right? Yep, mm -hmm. absolutely. Snap delete. All right. Nice so joke. I have one question about like there's a sentiment of like if you submit a technical talk and then a soft talk and you consider your technical talk to be the better of the two and more likely to get selected. Um, and then there was also some comments earlier about how uh, you know as a business owner I might be more inclined to send my developers to the conference if there's a technical talk because I believe that they'll learn more from that. Are there things that like we as conference organizers or attendees can do in order to help highlight the value of the talks that we're all sitting here saying, the reason you go to a conference is to listen to these not necessarily super technical talks, but everybody on the outside is looking in and saying, what technical talks are they going to do? I mean, I mean, I think the people that are, that are paying for people to go have to understand that the reason you're, you are sending, that you're paying to send people to a conference is because you want them to grow as a developer. You want them to get better and learn skills that will provide um, value to the business. It's kind of like you cut a check for a thousand bucks and pay for the hotel and all that other stuff. You're hoping that they're going to go and learn something that's valuable. Um, I think if you just look at it in terms of, if you, I think as a business owner, if you look at, at technical things only being valuable and not the ability of your of your employees to not be assholes, right? That you're really you're setting yourself up for failure because then what you're going to end up with is a bunch of people that are really technically skilled but can't relate to the other people that they're working with. And so in the end, like like yet said, the best teams seem to be, you know, competent to above average groups of developers who are really really good at working together because they've learned how to act like human beings instead of just assuming that I'm the I'm a rock star and I was brought in to save this thing and we're going to make this all work and I don't care what you have to say because I'm supremely confident in my own skills. You know, these things are about career development and people have to understand that there's way more to getting a job done than just your ability to hack away at code. Because you look at the, if you look at all the skills that a uh, that you would say a developer in 2015 needs to know, uh, so many of them are more than just technical skills. You know, you have to you have to know a server side language, you have to know a client side language, you have to learn um, version control. And I swear to God, I'm going to snap and kill someone over Git one of these days. Um, uh, so you have to understand version control. You have to understand deployment strategies. But more importantly, you have to understand how to work with more than one person. It, I think development these days is so complicated now that the lone developer building something awesome that everyone can use, those days are gone. There are too many. Nobody can be a savant and know how to do everything. So you are going to literally have to rely on other people 
to get things done. Even if you're just a sole developer working on something, you are going to have to indirectly bring in the expertise of others. And to do that, you have to actually know the soft skills. You have to know, whenever there's a problem, you have to know how to talk to the person that can help you fix that problem. And if, if you just, as an employer, if you're saying, I just want my devs to, to uh, learn you know, the late, about the latest version of PHP, well, uh, I would say you're, you know, you should, you, know, you should start thinking about how you're going to wind this thing down because it's going to crash because you're more focused on the technical skills and not how the company can survive. Because uh, when things get rough, you know, when there's stress, people don't rise to the occasion. They shrink down to whatever their, whatever their uh, muscle memory and skills are. So if all you have is a bunch of assholes working for you that are good at coding, well, things are going to go to shit in a hurry because they won't know how to relate to each other and help each other when something has gone horribly wrong. I mean, that's kind of how I look at it. I mean, I've learned that from, from all my frustration of playing that stupid card game, Magic. When, the, when, when stress is on, when stress is on, you revert to, like, muscle memory, essentially, for whatever skills that you need to use. No, nobody, this, this nonsensical narrative that's portrayed by sports of people rising to, the, rising to the occasion, no, it's just bullshit. They're reverting to their most basic automatic skills that they have. And if, and if the people, when things get rough, don't know how to be nice to each other and help each other, you're screwed. There's no way around it. No one's going to save you. In terms of changing attitudes uh, on the part of those who are paying for the ticket, that's a... Uh, I don't think the motivation is going to come from conference organizers toward the corporate entities. It's going to come from the teams within saying, hey, this is the type of training that we really need. So when you as developers go to pitch your boss to go to the next conference, you got a decision to make, short term, long term. Short term, telling them you're going to learn about graph databases and you're going to learn about version control and you know these things that are immediately necessary. That might get you to the conference this year but it didn't do anything in terms of changing those attitudes about what's most important. He emphasized the soft skills talk. There's a, there's a talk on teamwork here. There's a talk on communication. There's a talk on developing better user stories, things that are a little bit closer uh, to the user and, uh, you know, at, the, uh, at the barriers between silos. Uh, those are going to be a longer-term sell, but I think for the industry, it's, it's better. I sort of feel like one way you might look at some of these, what we're calling soft talks, are really things that, they're sort of like decision-making skills. And technical talks tend to be things that tell you about a tool. They don't tell you necessarily when to use it in your given situation. They don't tell you how to learn it, right? They tell you run this git command. Uh, yeah. Here's how to learn what Git command. Yeah. Right. So that's a that's a that's certainly a, a skill, and that's that's a, a how you learn things is certainly a thing there. Uh, I also think that the, the, one of the, the things that I've seen where people who had really good skills in certain areas where they almost always fell down and where things fell apart was always in that decision making process, how they chose to utilize tools that they had. And that's why I feel like those kinds of skills are really more important. Um, they inform everything that you do. So, um, but it, I can understand it's a little bit hard to, uh, sometimes it feels less tangible, but that's because it's hard, it's a harder problem. It's a harder problem to say, uh, to learn how to do X process using Y tool and go through those steps 
But it's a harder thing to say, I know that I have this tool here. When do I use it and when do I not use it? When's it a good idea and when is it not? Um, how do I interact with other folks on my team? That's a decision-making process and things like that. To me, it's a little bit like, and this is another pet interest of mine. Whoa, I'm, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, somebody's trying to steal the booze. How do you sell those? It's a gift to the podcast. What are you doing? I'll take it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's a really good question, how you sell that stuff. The, 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 yeah, that maybe. Now, one, I, I think it's a really good point. Let me say this, can and you, I think... Can you repeat it, the point for those that didn't... Uh, that how do you sell the that to, say, somebody who's doing hiring, a potential employer, because the hard skills are sort of what they look for on the resume initially. I know that as somebody who has hired some people... Uh, ben, where are you going? And some... I'll be right back. Okay, thank God. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Ben Ramsey will be back in just a moment. <laughs> Intermission. Um, I think it's really important. I think that the I think successful businesses uh, look at some skills and see that they maybe have some a decent mesh there, but they don't make a decision based on that. They make a decision based on the interactions that they have and trying to assess what kind of decision making skills they have. Um, I don't know. Those of you who have maybe a little bit of background and or have some knowledge of say things about public schools in this country and in various states I think that there's something that goes along with this I'm on a school board and I have to uh, think about this stuff uh, the school board that I'm on is, is for a public school it's a uh, locally run non-for-profit uh, charter school uh, in Lafayette, Indiana and we have an educational philosophy that is diametrically opposed to standardized testing it, in fact it, it does not work with standardized testing at all. It, it, it dramatically de-emphasizes that. We also live in a state where, uh, in Indiana, you are given, a school is given a single letter grade that is announced to the public every year, and it is based on a single standardized test that is given once during the year. And that is what the uh, state legislature for the past several years and the governors have decided that that is how um, things like school funding, uh, teacher salaries and the like should be based on a single standardized test that is given for a couple weeks during the year. I think that simply assessing somebody based on a set of uh, skills that they list on a piece of paper is a lot like judging the success or failure of an educational system based on a single standardized test. And it tells you something. And it doesn't mean that it's not valuable to some extent but it is telling you, it is giving you a very small sliver of what it means to actually, what, what, what's actually going on. And so I, I think that there's a lot of similarity there. In uh, true rabbinic fashion, I'll respond to a provocative question with a provocative question. Uh, if a potential employer is solely or primarily focused on your technical skills, uh, and is not terribly concerned about your teamwork skills, your communication skills, et cetera. Is that a position you really want to be pursuing? 
Yeah, you have to get past HR to get to the guidance. Okay. So that's what you emphasize on your resume. But if the conversation doesn't evolve by the second interview, by the third interview, where you're meeting with the team, where they're asking you these questions about how you're going to fit and how you're going to communicate and what your experiences were in your past position, not sure that's going to be a long-term fit for you anyway. So if I can add something to that, I found, I mean, what worked for me might, ne might not necessarily work for others, but I found myself being willing to say, I want positions that I think are going to be are going to be a good fit, and I'm not and I'm uh, not willing to compromise. I can look at a, a position where everything looks perfect, but one thing that's important to me, I'm willing I'm willing to say I'll reject that position because it's just not the right thing for me. I mean, my decision to work from home for almost nine years now has definitely changed opportunities for me, mm -hmm. and I've had to pass up a lot, a lot of things because it came to a point where I could not compromise on the idea that I need to be home, I need to be working from home, yeah. that I need to be around. The whole family life has now gotten centered around me being home. So my willingness to, my willingness to look at it and, and say, there's 10 things that I want, even if nine out of the 10 are right, I'm gonna reject it because I need 10 out of 10, because again, you know, life is short. I got a late start in the development game. I didn't get my first programming job until I was 27. It's pretty late um, as far as these things go. So, 35. Right, very extremely late. So you feel that sense of internet mortality, that you only have so much time before um, you, know, you may become irrelevant or, or it'll be a lot harder to, uh, to keep up. So I'm willing to just say, I have super high standards about the things that I want to do and I'm not willing to compromise. But I understand, you know, situations are different from people. Sometimes you need that job. You have to, yeah. your personal situation is such that you need to take that job. And you're gonna have to suck it up even if things aren't perfect. I'm just, I've been extremely thankful um, that I've been able to keep that super high standard of stuff that I wanna do. I think we should probably do one more question, just so everybody knows. Well, uh, how about we have someone who didn't ask us a question? So not you, not you. Broccoli boy. I guess this may be a comment more than a question, but you well, can. No, no, no. Okay, question. I'll make it a question. I'll make it a question. This okay. loop wow. up at the end. And okay, yeah, it good. appeared to be a question. Well, we've been talking a lot about the difference between like hard talks, if that's what we want, technical talks, and these soft talks. But I wonder if there's something in there that we should take away that maybe we've got to bring a little bit more of the soft talk to the technical talks. Um, maybe the technical talks don't have to be as technical as they are bring some real life experience to them, you know, soften them up a little bit, and maybe you can get some of that life experience and some of that same sort of wisdom, if you will, through a, a technical talk, um, as opposed to, you know, drawing such a hard line between the two. Um, I think the best talks are a combination of the two. Technical material along with personal anecdotes and some, uh, some ideas for personal development that go with it. I mean, there's a lot, programming is a lot more than just understanding how something works, right? You have, to, you have to learn how to learn, I guess, as the expression goes. I mean, the best talks for me were ones that kind of gave me a base and then gave me the, the ideas of what I needed to research next and what I needed to find out about next. And those are always the ones that I got the most out of. Talks where just like beginning to end, it felt like I've, where the speaker was portraying the idea that I've covered everything that I think is important about this talk, and so anything else is not kind of relevant. I mean, I've been in talks like that, um, where it felt like the person was positioning themselves as an expert, and you only had to concern yourself with the things that they were talking about. But I really think the best talks are a combination of the two. Yeah, the absolute best technical talks that I've seen are you know, born from the person's experience. 
and not experience in just learning of the technology, but the decision making that they made. You know, our company faced X, Y, and Z challenges, and these were the variety of uh, solutions that we had before us. We chose this one because of A, B, and C reasons, and here was the impact. And if I had to do it all over again, you know, here's some things that I would uh, consider. But um, not everybody has those experiences uh, to share, and. Uh, Non-disclosure plays a large role, so those talks at that level are few and far between. So you end up with a lot of talks which are kind of a survey of technology X or a low-level tutorial smushed up into 60 minutes uh, that kind of rounds out uh, the schedule. But yeah, I think the absolute best talks are, are you know, sharing one's experiences and the decision-making, as Ed mentioned, uh, even when they're focused on technology rather than people. Well, I think that's, we're probably getting towards when we might want to wrap up. I think so. And uh, we should thank our <coughs> sponsors, which includes, uh, what's that, the, the storm? Alan Storm. Alan Storm of Pulse Storm Tech Technologies. <laughs> um, uh, and he's got a bunch of really cool like Magento add-ons, books about uh, Magento. Uh, I heard really, really good things from people who use it. That is on e-commerce. Yes, yes. Uh, that that uh, that he's that Emacs really, plugin for e-commerce. Yeah, is that <laughs> yes? Let's say yes. Is he working on a Vim one? Yeah, it's all Vim based now. <laughs> you can make purchases from your Vim terminal. Yeah, it's all. You, yeah, there's as just, long as you can figure out how to exit Vim. Yeah, right down, yeah. Vim commerce. Yeah. <laughs> 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 designer's job a lot easier. It does. Yeah. They have to go register vimcommerce.com. Vimcommerce.com. <laughs> but I. Uh, <laughs> I got it. I got it. I'm sure Alan will be working on that. And uh, the Pulse Storm. If you check them out, uh, uh, they've got a 20% off coupon uh, with Dev Hell as the promo code, which is super duper exciting. Uh, and then we've got uh, Graph Story. Uh, and I strongly encourage you to go check it out. And uh, if you want to uh, get a free instance, yeah, I like that. The applause, that's very good. Uh, we, uh, you can get a free instance. You sign up right now for it, and you can play with it. And then tomorrow we'll tell you what you can actually do with it at the booth. Uh, let's see. And, and I just want to also mention I was very impressed because is Jeremy here still or did he leave? Oh, uh, he's sick of this. Not you. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> Jeremy Kendall. That's I'm working on the Lisp SDK for it. So it's the Lisp that. SDK. That's and and uh, Smalltalk is up next. Lisp and Smalltalk, so everybody here can uh, start accessing that stuff. If you're like a closure expert, you'll be able to do, do graphs in no time. Yeah, uh, my understanding is that we're going to uh, incorporate GraphDBs into HyperCard apps. Oh. So that's going to be exciting. That's that's cool. Yeah, of course. I mean, come on. Yeah. No school like the old school. You got it. Oh, yeah, I like that. Uh, and then we got your row Foundation. Uh, all fun, all the time. Right. Uh, and uh, please help the uh, dogs that they have, they're sheltering. If you do not adopt them, they will be put down. <laughs> the tests don't pass. <laughs> you know what happens. Oh, my God. I got that one, too. <laughs> oh, pretend you're offended, right? <laughs> Husky's at the farm. <laughs> He's on a retreat <laughs> to learn Angular JS. 
Oh man, Evan's gonna kill me. Yep. <laughs> Uh, and then we got uh, Wonder Network, who uh, do a bunch of cool stuff. And they have the, the most awesomest testing developer, Gemma, working for them. They got Thank it. God they yeah, found yeah. Gemma, because if it was just Paul, they'd be it was a, It was a shit show. A they shit were show. <laughs> all cowboy shit all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess that's, that's we're pretty much wrapping up. Yeah, this has been number 62. Yeah, so this has been episode number 62. Thank you to everyone who came to join us live. I really enjoy doing the live ones. I wish we could do these more often. So uh, let's have a big round of applause for everybody. Thank you very much. Thank our special guest. And yes, thank you very much, Yitz Code Rabbi, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you and uh, so we're going to go back to the bar and have a little bit more to drink. But I want to also mention for those who are listening, um, you can find every single episode that we've done at devhell.info. Um, Ed, my wife, has commented how she's always impressed by the headlines and, and uh, accompanying images. For I work harder than that. Yeah. You, work, you work harder than when you edit the podcast. That's Much harder. And fast. Uh, so every single episode you can find there. Um, you can subscribe to our 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 our. our, our, our RSS, that's a little bit of Tourette's there going, RSS feed uh, to be notified when there's new. Join our mailing list because we do we do giveaways to people. I bet people don't know this. they got to get on the mailing yeah, list. Yeah, you got to sign for the mailing list. Sign for the mailing list. If you subscribe to us in iTunes, please rate the podcast. Uh, we always want to find out if we're doing a good job. And even, even if we're not, well, we're just going to keep doing it whatever way that we want. Um, so you can find the podcast. Fuck off. We find on the podcast. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Twitter on dev underscore hell. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Grumpy Programmer without the U. You can find Ed as Funkatron with the U. So thanks f- for everyone for joining and have a good night. Good night, everybody.